0: Much uh, love to all of you, Uh, my name is Wally, I'm teaching pastor uh, for Walker Harbor, thrilled to be with you um, this morning, and to all moms, happy Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, Um, you are a gift. So uh, grateful for that, grateful to be with you, And, and yes, one more teaching uh, and then then we zip off. And so there, there can't be any kind of time joke today, uh, my wife reminded me, because there is a deadline um, that is just in place. That's a joke? Just saying, just saying no time joke is a joke. Ah, it's great. See, it never fails then. It's so fantastic. Um, That'd be really, really, really good. We're going to continue on in our series, Walking Through the Gospel According to Matthew. So we're going to do that this morning. And then, um, then we. so if you catch me being jumpy or whatever, I'm trying to just stay here, be present, be in this um, before we get dusty with uh, Israel. So it'll, it'll be really, really good. Uh, we have Doug and Lori Hahn. They're here. They're going to be going. Uh, with Dave and Sue Coutier are uh, preparing. It's possible uh, that Dave is still packing, uh, as, as we were told. <laughs> um, and then Terry DeVries. So uh, it's amazing. We have 48 people going on our trip. And uh, everyone tested negative. We had to do our tests uh, this weekend. So we're all set to get to Chicago and fly out to Istanbul, Istanbul, to Tel Aviv, uh, is how we'll do it. And we actually arrive to go to bed on Monday night. So we get there and then tell everyone, here's your room, go to sleep. Uh, and wake up Tuesday morning and we get after it. Yeah. So uh, 6 a.m. wake-up call every day, and we get on the road and we hit our sights and we t- typically get back to the hotel about 8 p.m., each night. It's so much fun. And it'll be good. Uh, I would love to pray, and then we're going to dig in. Uh, We're going to continue in Matthew, so we'll be in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and it'll be uh, wonderful. So would you pray with me? Uh, Gracious God, we bless you for the gift of right here, right now, this space uh, to gather, to uh, dig into the Scriptures, to listen to what you have for us uh, as a community, as your body, the church, which is also made up of individuals so that we would all have ears to hear and hearts that our hearts would understand what you are nudging in us, drawing us to, uh, calling us to, that we would listen. And God, we bless you for moms. On this day, we're, we're grateful. We bless you for their lives. And we also think uh, for uh, some, it's, it's memory today. They, they remember moms. And we think of that sting in the heart, uh, both uh, the beauty of the memories, but also the pain of the, of the loss. And, um, and those who have desired uh, to be a mom, And that has been a struggle uh, to this point or have not happened. And so we pray for the sting in that heart and that you, as you can do, just the love, the embrace, the healing, uh, and the holding, we ask of that as well. And then uh, just in the celebration as well that uh, we celebrate moms, cheer them on, love them, because of all that they are and all that they do for all of us. And so we are grateful. And as now we sink into uh, the Scripture, uh, Holy God, uh, it is my prayer that the posture and meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth bring honor and glory to you and to you alone, our Lord, our rock, and our Savior. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Alright, so this morning we're actually wrapping up a mini-series mini, mini series within the series. So we've been breaking up this series going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been doing mini-series within it based on the themes. And so the, the most recent theme that we've gone through is uh, what we've called as On Location. And we actually spent the first three weeks... Highlighting the location of where Jesus was doing ministry, and we wanted to highlight that in the last two weeks and then including this morning. It's more, been more focusing on the people who it is that Jesus is with and where they are, but especially who they have been with in this. And so, um, this morning's stories I, I have so much fun with this because the text just does this. We will have Jesus interacting with two blind men, and then a man who is mute and oppressed by a demon. This is your Mother's Day sermon. You're welcome. It's so fun. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 27. So uh, we begin here, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us son of david now the there passed on from there is a synagogue there where they came from is a synagogue leader's house in capernaum so we go to a map just to kind of give you a grounding of where this is all taking place you have the sea of galilee fresh body uh lake And they're in the Capernaum or Capernaum as it is uh, pronounced. But that that region and this whole region is where Jesus does 90 plus percent of his ministry takes place in this small little area in these Galilee villages, uh, which they're just small fishing villages. And so Capernaum was actually what is known as Jesus' hometown during his public ministry. So he is coming from there, and we're not sure exactly where he is, but when they're going to a house, it's likely they're going into the house that he stayed in then while he lived there for this next part, but they were going on from there to this. And now what I want to do is I want to re- read the remainder of our text for this morning to get the whole picture, and then uh, that'll give us an opportunity to kind of set the tension and an idea of where we're going to go with the next mini-series within it so we'll set that up take a look at that and then we'll just rewind and look specifically at jesus's interaction with the people in this story so that we can look at what that looks like then and how it collides with our lives today so that's kind of where we're heading uh, just in case you're like, I don't think that's what he's talking about. You can go, didn't you say, reel it back in, Baldy? Come on, pal. Uh, we can do that. Uh, Matthew 9:28 to 34. So we'll read through then. When he, that is Jesus, entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Now, real quick, that word seen is faino. Faino in the Greek, that word seen in Israel, which means brought into the light. Never has anything been brought into the light like what we are seeing this Jesus do. That's really important because... But the Pharisees, the religious elite, the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So we get to toss in the prince of demons as well for Mother's Day. Again, happy Mother's Day. Let's talk about the prince of demons. So I'm not sure what your Mother's Day traditions are as it pertains to church. Uh, Whether or not you go, oh, it's Mother's Day. So typically we talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how amazing she is. So moms you are all amazing. And then next month for Father's Day, we'll talk about God as our father. And why is it that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, seems largely absent from his life. Oh, it's an opportunity for us to say "Men, See, get out of the man cave and step it up. Come on. And we shame dads, that's typically how often we see that. Well, we're not, we're not doing that. No thanks. Um, instead, we're going to talk about the prince of demons and blind men and, because we're just sticking with the text, which is fun. That's funny to me because it's just beautiful. So then, a brief word about the prince of demons. The enemy of the Jewish people, first century Palestine, the enemy of the Jewish people, is their main enemy is Rome. And that's led by Caesar, who's assisted by Herod Antipas, who's in combination with collusion. So then the Roman Empire, in many ways, Herod Antipas, in collusion with the temple system, they kind of get together to get after these people and then Jesus. So, like, this is the main enemy. So that's their main oppressor. But if you really wanted someone to get in trouble, if you really wanted to get after someone in a really profound, deep, alter their life kind of way, what you do is you go to the, what is the evil behind the evil? That would be the prince of demons, the Satan. So you would then attach that to a person. You start talking about how they are involved with the Satan, which is exactly what the Pharisees do here to Jesus because that will get them in much more trouble. Now, Satan, we, we should know Satan is not a name. It is a title. It's Satan in the Hebrew. Satan means the accuser. So when we start talking about the Satan, you're actually just, it's a title to say the accuser, and it's actually talking more about an energy, or we would say a spirit, that animates a person or a system, and you go, that system, that person, seems to be animated or energized by the ha-satan, like the accuser. That's what's driving them. So the Pharisees are essentially going for the jugular by pinning this on and saying, Jesus here, what he's doing, well, he must be animated by or in league with the ha-satan, by the Satan, which then would stir up the crowd because they would go, what? It's it's if the, the Pharisees are gossiping out loud oh, yeah, look at all the amazing things he's doing. He must be doing that by the energy, the spirit of the Satan, which then the crowd would be like, oh, well, then we have to take him out. He needs to be arrested. We probably need to execute him because that's a bigger problem. So it's like gossiping out loud, and then everyone gets stirred up, and they're like, well, we didn't didn't do anything ourselves, but we said it. We set it up. So that's what they're doing. So he's in league with the chief accuser. Now, Jesus doesn't even address this here. He's not going to address this accusation, which will come at him again until chapter 12, what we know is chapter 12. So it's something to look forward to. How will Jesus confront this accusation? Chapter 12. Now, what we'll look at here is that Jesus is essentially preparing his students to be sent out themselves. He's being accused of this and he's going to let them know, hey, you're going to be sent out and what it means to live by the mission of Jesus, to live by his mission, to love and serve all people, to meet people right where they are, as they are, serve them, love them, that will often get you labeled to be in league with the Hasatan. If you do this, if you love people, connect with people right where they are, as they are, this will actually, will find you accused of this more times than not. And that tension is what we'll pick up next week and with our next mini-series, which we're calling Bad Theology, which is bad theology or thoughts about understanding of God, what it is to do this. And so next week, we'll kind of lean into that tension of what it is to live this out, And uh, Tom Ellenboss is our lead pastor for Harbor Churches, so Tom will be with you to kick off the series next week, and then he will be the one that will lead us through the town hall meeting and go through all the budget stuff, so um, we set that up, so go for it, Tom, I'll be in Israel. (laughs) It's really fun, thank you. Uh, So Tom will be here, which is great, though, so if any of those answers, but he'll kick off this series with that this morning I want to now back up though, and I want us to look at this specific interaction Jesus has with the two blind men, and then lead into the next one, but the two blind men. So we'll rewind to go back to verse 27 and look at this. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, and this is important what they say to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. So first, what's the deal with these guys calling Jesus son of David? I thought his dad's name was Joseph. Well, one, again, in the Hebrew understanding, the way they would do it, our guide, when we go to Israel here, our guide in Israel, his name is Ronan ben Moshe. Ronan, son of Moses. But guess what? Moses is not his dad's name. What it is, is it's lineage. They were name it to say you are in the line of, you are in the tradition of. It's a calling on a person to say, to call that Ronan Ben Moshe. You are going to live into this calling of the, in the line of Moses. So to say son of David, it is a messianic title you are in the line of David, we trust that you are the son of, you're coming behind the king to be the new forever king. What these two blind men have said is absolutely a stunning, brilliant, bold claim that they are trusting that Jesus is the one who is to come. That's what that is. We'd be tempted to just kind of read right through it. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. But this is actually a big deal because they're saying, we trust that you are the one who is to come. You are the son of our king to be the new king. So that's a really important thing in this, what they're claiming. Uh, Verse 28 and 29, When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? That's why that matters, that first part, because it's like, well, what did they ask for? They said, Have mercy on us. They're making a big ask, not a small one. And so it says, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Now, before we get to what many would consider the miraculous moment, we need to start with context. So, compassion for the blind, that Jesus acting on this, compassion for the blind was actually mandated or is mandated in Torah. So outside of the profession of begging, which by the way was a profession, it was a profession to beg, uh, there was almost nothing vocationally for a blind person was allowed to do for logical reasons. So that it was mandated, let me say it another way, just so you understand in this context, compassion for humanity was central to that which unified and defined the ancient, traditional people of God. To be compassionate to the least of these, the look down on, the hurting, the suffering, that was baseline, that's what unifies them, that's what a traditional follower of Yahweh would be about, it's right there. Why I find, or part of why I find this fascinating, is because there are many people today that call themselves Christians, but also saying to serve and live with such compassion towards others is labeled as social justice. And that often gets further labeled into a political sphere as socialism, which leaves the original context would be staring at the church today going, what? are you doing? To be deeply concerned for people right where they are, as they are, you label off into political land? And this was highlighted by, I was recently listening to a conversation between our our friend, as we like to say, scholar N.T. Wright, and uh, an author and scholar, Esau McCauley. They were having this conversation and it was moderated by uh, biblical scholar Tim Mackey. He was moderating this discussion. And uh, Esau made the observation that the idea of biblically orthodox Christians being skeptical of social justice, most especially as it pertains to racial justice, is uniquely American he says. And with a saddened heart, N.T. Wright agreed. In fact, N.T. Wright pointed out that traveling back and forth from the UK, where he lives, and the United States to teach, he said it is only Americans who question him in an accusatory fashion or criticize him over any teaching that calls for caring for the poor and the foreigner. He said, only Americans criticize and say, ooh, and they're all skeptical, and what are you doing? You must be. And he just said, globally, that's, like, people are like, what? Both N.T. Wright and Esau Macaulay lamented how American evangelicalism tends to read the Bible through the lens of politics rather than allowing the Bible to critique and refine one's politics. Whew. Whew. And if you find yourself, but maybe you find yourself thinking here this morning, really, that seems odd and troubling that people would immediately jump to critique and deep suspicion of loving and caring for the most vulnerable in our society, then you are in the minority within American surveys on justice and race issues. If you were like, well, we were not going to jump to skepticism, well, you would be in the minority which is one more example of why it is crucial that the church be on the forefront of having these conversations, that we would say we should talk about these things, this is what matters. We should have conversations and be active, be the church, be action-oriented in this. It's needed now. Even when there's disagreement, the church should be the absolute best at disagreeing because we do so with kindness, respect, love, generosity, and incredible grace And kindness. So we can have difficult conversations. That's fine. Oh, you believe that? Understand. Walk me through how you got there. No, I really, I'm fascinated, and I want to know how you got there. And it's really important that we can have those conversations rather than labeling and ostracizing and shoving into corners and get out of here, and you're one of those people. No, 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 not the church. Okay, um... There's my rant. Uh, Matthew 9, 28, 29. When he entered the house, this is important, the blind man came to him and Jesus said, do you believe, highlight, that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched, highlight, their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. Now these two words uh, 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 on each side, believe and faith, so there are two words we have here, but it's one Greek word. It's the same Greek word. It's the word pistis. Go ahead and say pistis. Pistis, and it means to be faithful to, to hold fidelity to. It can be summed up to trust. And for a society like ours, which tends to equate believing with intellectual assent, as in I will intellectually agree with that, I find it much more helpful to take that Greek word and let it be what it is for both of those and that we would read the text this way, which um, one scholar, Scott McKnight, he actually said that we would be better off for the next decade if we would read where there's faith and believe, but especially he said where we see the word believe in the New Testament, that we would stick in the word trust because we have to work our mental the intellectual ascent and get into this faithful fidelity piece in there. So maybe we read it like this. Next slide. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you trust that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your trust be it done to you. That would be really quite helpful for us in this. So trust carries more action. It's it's very active in what it's doing based on an understanding. So it's doing something rather than, yeah, that's fine, I can get on board with that. Do you believe that? Yeah, sure, fine. And it's like, no, I I put my trust on this. It's active. It has a physicality to it. So this next part, this next little uh, two verses, I find so much joy. In based on it being Mother's Day. It's wonderful. Uh, verse 30 and 31. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Oh. On Mother's Day, we look at Jesus saying to two men, don't tell anyone what just happened and the boys run out of the house and they go into the neighborhood and blather their mouths everywhere blah, 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 blah. hey listen i'm going to do this but don't tell your brothers what i'm going to do here because we don't want them to know hey guys guess what mom gave me right they leave the house and they just start yeah, sternly warns them let no one know what no they go and make sure that everyone knows Kids these days, um, I find that funny. Um, verse twenty nine, uh, key word. Then he touched their eyes, saying, "According to your trust, be it done to you." This is so fascinating because that word "touched" is the Greek word "haptō." Go ahead and say "haptō," "haptō," and it means this: to light or kindle. Get this: to fasten fire to a thing, set. On fire. So we have the word touched, but oh no, it's not like touched their eyes. He lit a fire. It was an energy. There is so much more than just touch. It's this that ignites newness, a burning off of the old. It's much, it's got so much more giddy up than just touched. That word to light a fire. Beautiful. What a better image I find then. And which leads to then verse 30, and their eyes were opened. Now that word, an oigo. Go ahead and say an-o-i-go. anoigo. Anoigo. It's a really great word. It's to open up, eat open up either literally or figuratively is what the Greek means. And that's really interesting because this is also a hyperlink. This word would be a hyperlink, if you will. A callback to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. So the Sermon on the Mount reads like this. And this is Jesus when he was teaching them. Ask, and he's talking about to the Father, to God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be an oi goad to you it will be open to you. So that's amazing because he's saying, ask the Father, talk to God, ask, plead, knock to God. And now Matthew here has it writing that the blind men ask this of who? Jesus. So do you see what Matthew just did there? Is Matthew just said, in writing it this way and putting it together, he is claiming divinity for Jesus. You ask God, you seek God. These blind men are doing that. He's telling the story to say these blind men believe that he is God incarnate. And then that specific word used, um, opened, What's interesting is, he didn't say Jesus touched lit fire to their eyes, that whole thing, and they were healed, or they were cured. No, 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 no. Opened. That's really important. Opened for them because of the way in which that word is. It's like to literally or figuratively do that. It's something much different than being cured. It's a whole new way. What he's communicating is they have a whole new way of seeing. It's a whole new way of seeing that they have has been opened up for them. Now, in Mark and Luke's gospel, they, in telling this story, they have Jesus asking the question to them, what do you want me to do for you? That's what they say in their version of this, rather than he says, do you believe that I can do this? They have him asking, what do you want me to do for you? Which we might go, well, isn't that obvious? That he would have to ask and you go, but that question really is important because as professional beggars, the common request would be for the basics, food, water, clothing. Typically, they would be saying, well, I want something to eat. I just want something to drink or I want something to wear, and they are asking for more. They are doing a big, bold request here. We want more. We want to be able to see, revealing, and I love this, that these blind men hear this because this is the drive of this whole Uh, section, this scripture, the blind men can see Jesus, pun intended, better than or far deeper than the Pharisees, the religious elite. These blind men see Jesus in a bigger, broader, deeper, wider way than the religious elite elite. They see him more than just a teacher or a prophet. Much more is going on. So this has quickly become a story about two blind men who come to see Jesus in a much more humble, hopeful, truthful, and awe-inspiring way than the religious gatekeepers do. To trust that Jesus is more, that the divine is bigger and wider and deeper than we can see with our eyes is the driving point of this. Not only do these two formerly blind men trust this, but the surrounding crowd is also growing in this understanding and view because as the story is told, they bring the demon-oppressed mute man. They bring him. He didn't come and raise his hand. He didn't step forward. It says they brought him to Jesus, which is, we trust this so much, we're on the lookout. Who's struggling? Who needs help? Who's hurting? Who is the least of these? Let's get them and bring that, to, that person to Jesus. They're on the hunt now because we think something more is going on. Are you with me? So these then, which of course leads to those who are tasked with upholding and enlarging the religious system, well, then they call for Jesus' removal because, hey, if we're going to do this, you're really putting a thorn in our system. You're, you're causing problems for our system, and we can't have that. So, you need, hey, this guy must be in league with the accuser. We, we need to get rid of this guy because you're a problem for our system. This was one of the first things, this is going to shock you, that drew me to Jesus was this. But not from a place of like rebellious, yeah, you get him, Jesus. It was more of like, what is going on here? But I say that because someone who experienced first kind of growing up in church, I I experienced a system that worked really hard to draw strict lines of in and out, clean and unclean, going to heaven and burning in hell forever. Tight lines on that thing. Let's separate these people. You all Bad, clean, unclean, dirty, filthy, hell. You're not. You are not allowed here. You. You don't belong. I cannot remember hearing the words grace, love of neighbor, compassion. I didn't hear those from my church. This story would be taught very easily. The people who are healed are the people who intellectually believe the right things, and that was the point of the story. Believe, memorize, and quote the right things or else to hell with you. But context has been teaching us over and over again that Jesus meets people, all people, right where they are, just as they are. Messy people, unclean people, oppressed and marginalized people, as well as the religious elite. He meets them, all of them, right where they are. All of them. No one is left out. You're all invited to participate, to wake up, to see the more. And he asks of them, do you trust that there is more possible for you? Do you think there's more possible that, you, that goes beyond seeing with your eyes? A yes did not get someone, think about the stories, if they said yes, then he said, great, here's your ticket to go someplace else some other time. Nope. It was met with love, compassion, and mercy, and a transformed heart now, in the here, and to no, know if people rejected Jesus, no, it wasn't met with, well, then to hell with you. It was, oh, well, let me tell you a story that we, that, that story, which we often call parables, let me tell you a story that will go around your head and get to your heart. Let me tell you about that. Or let me display. God in the here and now, the kingdom come right now. Let me display it with action and then maybe tell a story and then invite you again. Can you see now? Can you see now? It's always an invitation from grace and mercy. Now do you get it? Jesus didn't go around asking people if they wanted to escape life. Hey, anybody want to get out of here? But he asked, who wants a transformed life to the full? which it's like if we step into that now of course later of course of course of course but let's start with the right here right now he went around inviting all people to cry for hunger to cry out for hunger for and reach out for salvation healing wholeness completeness now and into what we would say is the forever that's where the juice is This is where we find the good news. When the good news is offered, proclaimed, because it's really proclaimed, it's news, you announce news to everyone, to all people. That was the original or is the original meaning and intent of religion, to religament, to religament, religio, religament people to God and to one another to partner with the divine in the restoration, renewal, and reconciliation of all things and all people. But love, here's the thing, by its very nature, cannot coerce, cannot manipulate, or force. Love doesn't force people. You're invited. It's invitation and choice. Here's the invitation. Here's the news proclaimed. Would you like to trust, step into this, Do you trust that Jesus offers the more of life? That's the question the two blind men and the crowd had the courage and curiosity to step into. Yes, they said. The crowd is found bringing this demon-possessed, demon-oppressed person to Jesus because they have a growing awareness that Jesus, this guy, holds the wholeness of life. It's not a system, it's not an institution, it's the Christ incarnated. It's a connection with the divine that develops a hunger for the more of life and a generosity and joy in living life. This is why we, as a community, Walker Harbor, we are driven to help people find their way back to God. And like Jesus, we are driven to do this by, through in love. We desire to love Walker well because this is the way of Jesus. It's not to get God on our side. If I follow these rules, if I do this stuff, then I'll get God on my side or get God off my back. No, it's participating with God, being transformed by God and then participating with God in doing this. It's not to get a golden ticket after death It's for experiencing life to the full, beginning now. Uh, A a pastor I get to meet and and hang out with, um, Alex McManus, his brother became kind of famous as a pastor and author, Erwin McManus. But Alex McManus, Erwin always said that he was so... um, inspired and challenged by his older brother. When his older brother, Alex, accepted Christ, said yes to Christ, he had never heard anything about like heaven or anything. And so he had no idea. Someone told him later, wow, man, so you're excited, you know, you die, you go to heaven or whatever, that whole thing. And he was like, what do you mean? He didn't know that. And and Erwin kept on saying, Alex didn't get that whole spiel. He said yes to Jesus because he understood that Christ would fulfill his heart, fill his heart, and give him life to the full now. And he's like, I'm in. This way of Jesus is the best. I'm in. And so when somebody said, oh, you get to and he's like, I'm going where? I'm doing what? No, I'm following Jesus. And he was like, oh, he didn't even get that. That would be a gift. That would be a gift, I would say. Because then there is something about being driven by a transformed heart that's saying it's not about that, it's about God being with now, living into relationship. This is why, as a community, I've got to tell you the questions that I get most often from this community are asked like this uh, What do they need? How can we help? How can we serve? How can we give? Because we have connected with the Christ, because we have been met by God, these are the things, oh, what what do people need? How can we help? How can we give? How can we serve? How can we express the love of God that has met us? How can we meet others in that? That's a lot of the work is like, oh, is plugging people in, connecting relationships, helping you tell your story for these people, with these people, to live that out. The answers are found in the bigness of divine love, entrusting this love to move us, to grow us. And trust is active. Do you trust Ready, the way we would read that, do you trust that Jesus ignites the light of life? Like he's just constantly igniting flames in the darkness so that we can see, not just with our eyes, but with our hearts. Can you see with the eyes of your heart? Can you hear with the ears of your soul? This would lead us to a community, be a community that would say a couple things, Jesus have mercy. Are we a community that cries out, Jesus, have mercy, followed by, yes, we trust you hold more, and we trust you'll empower us to become more and do more. Yeah, oh, we trust. So we're constantly, Jesus, have mercy as I'm trying to live and do and experience this, and it can be hard, and have mercy on me, and then we're like, Jesus, have mercy uh, and empower us as we go and do provide mercy compassion love for those who are hurting and struggling of course of course of course this is the engine this is the drive this is what this story moves in us and calls us to i'd love to say a word of prayer and then tell you what we're going to do Um, we, we will take some time and reflect Wrestle uh, as we sing and then as we're singing that will alert our little peoples They're gonna hear that song and they're gonna come As they do kids probably down and they're gonna join us. So after the song We'll stand as a community and we're gonna say the Shema together in Hebrew and in English We'll say this prayer of we desiring to love God and love our neighbor And in part, what's so beautiful is we do this, starting when we go for Israel, our group, we will begin every morning by saying the Shema together. And it will be our prayer that we would live this throughout this day. And then we're going to end each day on our trip saying the Shema, saying, may this have been true of our day today. And we hand it to you, God. For that which we were able to do and unable to see, we hand it to you, and we pray that as we go. And we will do that each day. So it would be good for us to do as a community, always anyways, but to do that as we send off. And our kids will come and do that, because by the way, uh, they've been learning this together, and some of the kids, they've got it down. And so maybe we're going to invite them, they might want to lead us in it. And by that, Hebrew, these kids... Cranking out the Hebrew and the English, beautiful. So we'll do that as a community, and then uh, we'll go. And some of us will really go. Um, So would you pray with me? Gracious God, we bless you for loving us right where we are, just as we are. God, you meet us in our messiness, in our goodness, in our clumsiness, in our faithfulness, and our falling down, you meet us right where we are and you love us and you call us and will empower us to be all that you created us to be. To live from that first that was breathed into us, your breath of life, is what animates us. And you invite us to walk into that, to live by your breath in us, by your blessing in us and on us, that we would choose it, that we would say yes, that we would trust in your goodness in us. And we would live from that place. I bless you, God, that you meet us where we are and call us to more. Love us Two more. May we be, both as individuals and as a community, may we say yes. And not just with our voices, and not just with our minds, but yes, including those, but also transcending into our very actions and the way we live and the way that we behave, speak, and everything that we do. May it proclaim, may it display your love in us that is now working through us. How oh, we bless you, God, for your love. May we, even now, take the time to pry open our hearts, to open our minds to the bigness that is you, to the compassion and mercy that finds us. May we be open to that transforming us to be who you created us to be. We pray this by the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.